Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Joining us today is Mike Howard, who spent 16 years as chief security officer at Microsoft. When Microsoft was growing at such a fast pace, Mike's security operations had to grow with it. In this episode, we learn how he accomplished this task, how he measured risks and rewards based on the priorities of the company, and his thoughts on digital transformation as we head into 2019. Mike, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Nick, for having me. So you've had a very interesting career. How did you go from a police officer, you worked in the CIA, and what led you to be your most recent role, which as Chief Security Officer at Microsoft? Um, Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, I had 22 years at CIA, and uh, I'd been what they call a chief of station, so I ran, you know, a particular uh, territory, actually here in the U.S., and um, a lot of factors. Um, My then-wife, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, uh, she was retired from the agency. I uh, had some ongoing assignments, but our, our mothers, both who were in California, weren't getting any younger. And I'd basically done everything I wanted to do in the agency. And so we decided we need to get back to the West Coast. And I reached out to a friend of mine who I'd served with in the Philippines. Uh, He was with what they now call NCIS. Back then it was called NIS, Naval Investigative Service. And we worked a lot of things together. He was the only one I knew from the public sector that had made it in the private sector. And so I just pinged him. He had led me to a headhunter who eventually led me to to Microsoft. And uh, the opportunity there was to run the executive protection unit uh, for for Bill Gates and and some of the execs. And that's actually how I landed at Microsoft. Interesting. Yeah. So you were obviously our keynote speaker last night at the gala dinner. It was fantastic. Thank you. So you talked about Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. First of all, which you prefer, but um, in relation to the, the CISO versus the CSO. Could you elaborate on that a little more? Sure. Uh, I prefer Batman, <laughs> you know, just because he's... I'm with you. Yeah. You know, he, he's got he's to gotta do it on his own, right? He's got no no powers from, from planet Krypton. But, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, when we show that slide, it, it, it basically means that... I'm not looking at it from a personality standpoint, but I think just structurally... And you know, sort of, in many cases, it's 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 sort of the ecosystem of the cyber side of the house and the physical side of the house, where baked into enterprises is kind of this. Yeah, we're in security, but we're doing different things. So that's where the versus comes into. It doesn't necessarily have to mean an antagonistic yeah. environment, which you can sometimes. But but in this case, I'm I'm really referring to the fact that you've got kind of two siloed organizations like I said last night, who meet when they need to, when a big thing happens and they go back into their corners. Um, and eventually, if you get to the point where you have a holistic end-to-end uh, kind of take on security, uh, then you get the, the partnership between yep. Superman and Batman. Yep. Yep. So when you became a CSO, you obviously have a very wide scope role um, covering everything that touches security risk at your organization. What makes a CSO or, you know, even a, a CSO successful? Yeah. I think it really comes down first to the people. Um, when I got into Microsoft, it was a much smaller organization in terms of global security, yeah. then called corporate security. We yeah. had, oh, I don't know, maybe 
19, 20 people globally, and they were all my direct reports initially, uh, and all well-meaning people, but, you know, based on the strategy of where the company was going and where I wanted to take global security, which is regionalize it, expand it, grow, uh, some people were, were not prepared for that, you know. The bottom line is for a CISO or a CSO, it's really, it comes down to the people. You have to have that good team, uh, and it takes a while to vet that team. It took me a better part of a year to actually find the right people for my leadership team, the right people to place in, the, in our regional roles. Some people were there already, that, and they're really great other people we need to, to find, and really build that nucleus. Okay. Uh, probably just behind that, obviously, is is coming up with a strategy. You're putting out a lot of fires at first when you take on a role like this because you're new at it. Uh, you're still learning the players, you know, in the C-suite and everything. And then, of course, when stuff happens from a security perspective, you're you're closer to the scene as you're building a team and building a new entity to actually stomping out the fires and triaging a security situation. Uh, later on, of course, if you build the right team, then you, you're more strategic. Yep. Uh, but at some point, you've got to focus on strategy. Where do you want to take that organization in the next year, two, three years out? And what do you have to do to get there? So really, it's team first. It's got to be the people because you can't do it on your own. And then just about right behind that is developing a, a coherent strategy that maps to your company's strategy. Um, and that's, I think, if you get those things right, then in the long run, you'll be, you'll be successful, you know. So on that, so a lot of people think, you know, security is reactive. Mm-hmm. But how do, you know, the C-suite, you know, managing security for, you know, huge enterprises like Microsoft be proactive? And, you know, what does it take to, like, be, you know, to set yourself up for success? Yeah. I think... The, the first thing is, you know, they, they call it, you know, pounding a lot of shoe leather, right? So uh, a, a successful CSO um, and CISO need to do uh, that in the beginning. You need to get to know the folks in the C-suite, the, the people who are going to be able to provide you with air cover, provide you with support, provide you with funding, and, you know, really kind of buy it on your program so that you can drive those programs in the enterprise. But, you know, you've got to... Instead of being so reactive, you have to understand what their business drivers are, what their business strategies are. For instance, if a particular CVP, EVP decides that his or her business unit, they're going to expand into a particular part of the world, right? And they're going to have a, you know, uh, X times two times three footprint. Uh, If you didn't know that ahead of time, you wouldn't be able to position the right people in that particular region, the right intelligence sources, the right, you know, kind of connections with the local government and law enforcement, et cetera, as well as with the State Department, the U.S. Embassy, where we get a lot of information from uh, ahead of time so that you can kind of forecast what kind of situations and problems that particular business unit might have. So a lot of times you know, people will build security entities, but again, it's, it's reactive. And there's a certain part of that will, which will always be reactive. But if you understand the business strategies, that's why I said last night, we are business people first. Our business happens to be security, and we're business enablers. If you can get that into the DNA of your teams, and then you as the leader of the team, you know, make sure you you understand where the company is going and get to have those relationships with those folks in the C-suite. It makes you better able as, a, as an organization to be more proactive and really think about uh, you know, how, how are you going to forestall an incident from happening? 
sure there's technology and like I, I mentioned it last night that we're that we have and that we're also baking into the equation that hopefully will help us be more predictive yep. and where things are going to happen with machine learning and, and AI but uh, like I said everything else uh, comes down to the human element and the relationships so on the you know AI machine learning voice all these new technologies that are you know, coming everywhere um, how do executives you know optimize the value of these type of technologies mm-hmm. you know, not just in the security but sure. aspect but yeah that's an interesting question the um, uh, I, I've seen it in different forms even at Microsoft where uh, some particular business person or leader will will talk about that they've they've enhanced uh, their particular uh, line of business through digital transformation. But what they've done is maybe they've, and it's been good, but they've put a, a, a bot kind of solution here somewhere along that process, which helps to get that that particular part of the process more efficient. But as I, I think I again mentioned last night, it's, a, it's an end-to-end solution, digital transformation. So executives, I think, embrace the idea of digital transformation. Again, I think that's a, in a you'll find that term is going to be used a lot and, and it may lose its meaning at some point. But right now, I think people are using it as a catch-all for anything that has to do with technology enhancements via AI and machine learning, you know, and all that other good stuff. I think the ones that truly understand that it's the end-to-end solution that you're looking at for a manual process uh, and get it, those are the ones that are really embracing it. I think in general, every, most folks embrace it, but they look at it more of a, as a solution to one-off situations. And that's fine for a tactical quick win. For the long-term strategy, that doesn't pan out. So how is digital transformation affecting security organizations? And what do you recommend to you know, your fellow C-suites mm-hmm. Um, who are looking to implement you know, holistic security programs in their organizations? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I kind of liken it to the cloud back over a decade ago, yeah. right? And uh, as, as, as the cloud was coming into existence, you had, you know, we're, we're blessed because we're in the technology industry. Not, not that, you know, Microsoft and, and our organization had all the answers, but we were... That was sort of our bailiwick. You know, a lot of my counterparts in, in the security world, that's not their bailiwick. And so uh, understanding the cloud and understanding the ramifications of the cloud downrange, it took them a while to get there. Now, of course, you know, everybody's kind of embraced the cloud because that, that's here and it's going to stay here. So it's, a, it's the same thing with all the, the things that we talk about in digital transformation, all the things that can help enhance the security operation. I think... You have uh, you have people in different kind of uh, you know kind of stages in their growth. You have those that don't really understand it, don't really want to understand it, and so it's still more the brick and mortar, uh, hard access controls, kind of command and control, blah blah blah. You know, very manual process kind of organization, and it, and and it may work, but it's it's. Like I said, what got you here won't get you there last night. And yeah. so it may work. You have other folks that are kind of, they've got a very good GSOC process. They've got a smooth running operation with great technology. They're, they're ready to think about the next 
iteration, which would be, you know, true digital transformation where you're, you're looking at manual processes and how do you digitize those things to make yourself more efficient. Um, I think in general, there's a, there's a lot of talk about it. I think you have to, again, crawl, walk, and run. I think you have to understand it first. I think there's a huge education piece that needs to be done, um, you know, within the CSO community about what this actually means. There's a hunger for cyber, as I talked about last night, and there's, you know, uh, on the CSO world, they really need to understand and want to know what, you know, what cyber is all about, what the threats are, and what they can do. But there are also tools that they can use at their disposal from a digital transformation standpoint that can help them. They got to, they have to really study, understand what does this mean? And how does it mean and how does it work in our organization? What's the appetite of that particular company for it? I mean, their own C-suite leaders may not really understand it and may not have embraced it. And so, you know, you may be actually leading the way and, yeah. and, and which is actually a good thing if you get to, if you understand what it's all about. We actually did that at, at global security at Microsoft in which, you know, we, we really put ourselves out there. We're still in the middle of, 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 of changing our sort of modus operandi, so to speak, uh, in terms of embracing the, the whole gamut of digital transformation but, and how we do business. But we actually put it out there because we believe in it and we believe this is the future, right? So uh, I think it just it, it kind of runs the gamut. Uh, there's a, but like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge lift and a big education piece, but similar to the cloud, I, I guarantee it 10 years from now, the vast majority of CSOs will be on board and will be on their way. So speaking of looking to the future, it's yeah, early in 2019. What what is yeah, you know, the number one thing you're you know looking at in 2019 that could change the security landscape? Um, you know, I don't want this to be a total Microsoft show, right? You know. But I, I think some of the things that we've been working on, especially what we call and one of my direct reports, you know, sort of called it uh, fr the frictionless environment. Okay. You know, that is, you know, looking at identity, as he calls it, at the edge. Uh, he can explain it a lot better than I can, but, you know, in essence, you're using biometrics and edge devices that, that are cloud-based, but also have the, the, the technology where you can get identity in one case, we were demoed at, at uh, multiple identities at, at sub one second speed, right? And be able to actually, through sensors and, and other means, capture the identity of somebody coming into your ecosystem before they even get to the doorway, before they get to the entranceway, uh, as opposed to a card access, you know, where the person's already in, uh, you know, hard, um, you know, hard uh, access controls. Uh, those types of things. I think it, it this would be a paradigm shift because it'll be a, a different way of thinking about security. I've talked to a lot of my colleagues who say, well, that's never going to work, right? Because you're still going to need walls and barriers and this and that. And, I, and I, I think what you'll have is a hybrid. That's what I see coming in 2019. You'll see digital transformation is going to move. And I know my old organization, which is under great hands, under Brian Tuscan, the current CSO, um, they're going to continue to push it forward, just like we did with the GSOCs back in the day when people said we couldn't have a string of integrated, interoperable GSOCs. We did. And so you're going to see some innovations in how people think about access control and identity. Yep. And I think that maps to where the industry, the technology industry is going, you know, in terms of how they're thinking about it. And 
Um, I really see some good innovations in that way. If, if nothing else, I see uh, hopefully the security industry starting to, to not just say no or poo-poo it, but at least say, well, there might be something here in, in how some segments of the security industry are approaching the future of security. Um, otherwise, once again, uh, I guarantee you, on, not that they have all the answers either, but on the CISO side of the house, because they're so wedded to technology, because that's their bread and butter, yeah. you're going to find that side of the house, and you would know better than I, uh, that uh, embracing those new technologies a lot faster because they have to defeat those technologies as well, and, and as well as defend them. Um, and so I think, you know, in order to make sure, once again, going back to the old thing about the partnership between CISO and CISO, you better speak the same language. You better know where they're going, and you better be able to map to that as well. So part of that is also what do you see as the biggest globally, you know, the biggest threat, you know, in 2019, 2020 and beyond? Uh, What's the biggest challenge for, you know, any executive in security? Um, you know, believe it or not, and I've, I've read a few studies and I've come to embrace this actually is the, the whole idea of, 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 of the climate. I think that's the biggest challenge because it directly also affects your security operations, right? Climate change in terms of uh, the natural disasters that you're going to see more of, the, the kind of things that really imp, uh, would impact not only the human capital, the personnel that you have in different parts of the world, but also infrastructure, the critical infra infrastructure of your companies, whether it's offices or data centers, et cetera. I think that unless we kind of bake in the idea of climate change and how it affects uh, your future strategies of, as a company, you're going to find yourselves, you know, scrambling to do what we did, you know, say like in, in Puerto Rico, right? Um, you know, you can't predict, for instance, the, 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 the massive hurricane uh, like Maria that hit. But, you know, maybe downrange looking in two or three years as, as companies are looking to, we're going to build more data centers around the world and we're going to put more of a footprint in these areas because from a business standpoint, it makes sense. You also should bake in the fact that, okay, from a climate change uh, aspect, you know, who do we talk to to kind of get some predictive kind of indicators on the likelihood of massive storms happening on a regular basis, massive uh, changes in the ecology happening on a fairly regular basis that would directly affect uh, commerce and um, how we do business, both from, you know, obviously the, 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 the enterprise business standpoint, but certainly from the security standpoint. That's my personal feeling. It's a very good perspective. So switching gears a little, we've been delighted to have you here in Vegas at the, at the assembly. Mm -hmm. uh, what what is one of the key uh, takeaways you found you know through your conversations? Obviously, your keynote last night, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from being here at the assembly. Yeah, I, I think one of the main things was it's it, it's amazing. And I, and I was telling uh, my wife and some uh, my former business manager when we we're you know chatting you know on, on text that you know this is the first time I've been to uh, a Millennium Alliance. Uh, event and thanks to you for you know, introducing me to this 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 segment of of security. Uh, but it's interesting that we're all alike, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I keep finding that out. Uh, uh, there was one time, as an aside, um, I went to ISC West, another big show out here, 
and it's more of a security manufacturing and trade kind of thing. And a lot of my teams at the time, they were presenting on what we were doing from a technology perspective. But it was a side of the house that I had no exposure to. It was mostly because we're the end users yep. and you know they're the ones that supply all the, all the, the great stuff. And what I found out was I ended up on the, it was sponsored by the Security Industry Association. And I got on their board as a first end users. And it was eye-opening for me to be with these folks um, and to learn that part of the security world. And coming here, talking to the folks here and having conversations, A, yes, we're all in the security business. B, nobody has all the answers. And C, again, it opens up a new window for me and a new avenue of learning. Because it's a constant learning. No matter how successful one is in your particular endeavors, you can always learn. And then by just in the conversations I've had around the table last night during dinner and listening to people talking, you know, you, you glean nuggets of information that I, as an end user, traditional kind of physical security CSO, wouldn't, wouldn't have. And that's the beauty of, I think, events such like this. Yeah. And why do you think it's important for you know the, the C-suite executive to get out of the office to get you know and to come and learn you know at assemblies like ours? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you can get yourself into a bubble where you believe your own BS about how good you are and how successful you are, and you may be that, but unless you get out and kind of see the world and taste it and interface with people that may have different backgrounds or have different viewpoints from you, have different pathways to success, you're always going to be in your own bubble and, and maybe you don't innovate, right? Uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was in the, the organization I mentioned last night, ISMA, International Security Management Association. Great organization, been there for a long time. I eventually uh, went on some committees and then got on the board and eventually became president. That particular journey was an eye-opener because at the time that happened, our global security organization, we were being touted as one of the best in the world. And people were benchmarking with us. We had presidents of countries and heavy hitters in the U.S. government and everybody coming to benchmark with us. And so if we didn't get out, we could believe our own stuff. Like, you know, we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But getting out in front of, you know, being on running a board of, you know, 15 or, uh, or so of the top CSOs in the world and finding out how they innovate, how they're doing things, and we realize, oh, well, we didn't think about that. Oh, we should talk to them about that. It can make us better. It's the same thing. C-suite executives need to get out of that bubble, get out and, and, e and even get to a point where they get uncomfortable and be challenged with what they thought was the end-all and be-all, right? And Because then, then you innovate. Then you come up with new ideas and, and, and ways of doing things. And you grow. You, you grow as a leader. Your team grows. And hopefully, you know, if you're you know, like CEO or whatever, then your company grows, right? But that's important. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. So our CEO, his theme for this year is uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, you kind of just touched on this, but how does that relate to, you know, the C-suite insecurity? Mm -hmm. Do people really need to be, you know, be uncomfortable? They do. Um, they, what was I was reading an, an article on making speeches, actually. It kind of touched on this where, um, you know, if, you, if you're making a speech, and this is the analogy I'm trying to make, you make a speech and there's a, 
there's two ways to view a speech. One is uh, more communicative, and uh, the other one is really just trying to impart information. The difference is that one is more you're trying to memorize the speech, trying to under you know da da da, and you get nervous and you know because you miss a point. Whereas the other one, they talk about improv people and how how when people get on stage to improv, they actually don't know what's going to happen next. And they get uncomfortable, but they they learn to adapt to the situation, right? And so then it makes for a, a better experience for them mm-hmm. uh, because they're not trying to be so prescripted. Uh, and then it makes a better, you know, obviously thing for the audience. Being uncomfortable, I think, is 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 important, though it's 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 hard. Yeah. You know, everybody likes their own comfort zone, and uh, and again, as you go up the ladder of success. You know, you like you like to stay in that comfort zone. Uh, that's kind of a DNA thing for humans, I think. You don't want to be uncomfortable. You don't want to be challenged. Um, you don't want to be, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe faced with the fact that something that you're doing might be wrong or going down the wrong path. And it's something that you have to you have to kind of embrace uh, as a leader. Uh, part of being a leader is being vulnerable. Um, you know, yeah, you have to have a certain amount of uh, confidence in, in, in order to lead any organization, but you have to be vulnerable enough to, to be uncomfortable and, and be challenged with what you thought were, uh, were you know, sort of, you know, the, 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 the holy grail of whatever thing that you, the strategy that you're pushing. But, and I don't, and I dare say that your best leaders are the ones that are vulnerable, are the, are the ones that are willing to learn and to admit when they make mistakes and be willing to go course correcting, take another path. Um, those that don't, uh, they'll end up hitting a brick wall at some point, frankly. So what's, what's next for Mike Howard? What, what's happening this year, you know, and, you know, in your career in the, in the security industry? Just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big, big question. Uh, uh, I actually had a, a good friend of mine who's a professor at, at University of Washington tweet to me about after she um, had had seen some comments on Twitter about the last night's event, and kind of said, "Well, you know, sort of the next phase is uh, is started starting to unravel for you now." And I guess for me, it's you know, I've had a great career and in, in several careers in, in big enterprises. And now, you know, the the sort of consultant thing is something that will always be there, and I'm always willing to do that. But I'm really looking uh, to to talking about leadership more, talking about and and mentorship. I'm really high in, in mentoring people and being mentored, so I like to do a, a lot of that in the future. Um, you know, be on a few, few advisory boards, but also I'd like to write. You know, I have things in my head, whether or not anybody will read them or not is another question, but I have things that I want to write about the industry, about uh, leadership, uh, about technology, um, and I want to blog about things. And so uh, once we get situated in our new home in Las Vegas, you know, and I have more time to do that, I'll, I'll devote more time to that. But I want to, I want to still contribute um, and and hopefully, and and the other thing is that I want to make sure I, I still am in a learning mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be one of those legacy people that, oh, yeah, Mike was relevant two, three years ago, but he's not relevant now. And forums like this and other things that help keep my, my, my brain cells sharp you know, are things that I want to continue to do. So last question, what is your number one tip for 2019? 
for the C-suite executive? Um, I would say stay curious. Um, it's it's going to be a hard enough environment from a business perspective that you see on the news every day, uh, whether it's trade wars or or you know uh, uh, cybersecurity or uh, economics going up and down or what have you. You know it, it's going to be hard enough, but you need to stay curious uh, in order to survive. You need to stay curious about your people. You need to stay curious about where business is going. Um, you need you need to stay curious about how well you're developing yourselves as leaders. And that's one thing I think that the kind of, it, 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 a lot of people are lacking that, I think, in the leadership world. They, a lot of people get to leadership because they're subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. We even saw that back in the CIA. You know, I had great leaders there, but you saw those that were not, were they may have been great case officers, or in Microsoft's case, they may be great engineers and great this or that. And they're great at doing their job and getting the job done. They're not great leaders because they don't take the time to develop themselves as leaders, um, which means that admitting mistakes, learning from those mistakes, hopefully moving on, but the continuous improvement piece. And I think that's, that's the one thing that people should be looking at. Stay curious. Stay hungry. Fantastic. Well, Mike Howard, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us here at the Transmansfield Seaside West Assembly. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out our other interviews exclusively on Digital Diary.